I am grateful that we uh, get to sing that song because uh, we are entering into a wonderful opportunity this morning to talk about encouragement. Now, let me just tell you what encouragement... um, Actually, let me give you a verse of Scripture. I want to give you a verse of Scripture. In Paul the Apostle's closing remarks to the church at Thessalonica, this is a church to a city in the New Testament, Paul writes these words, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Listen to this. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, Christians, leave that up there just for a second, Josh. In, in, in this day and age right here, Christians were being persecuted. Many were losing their jobs, being prevented from doing their daily work that would bring income so that their families could live because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. Their property was being seized by the rulers of the city. Insults were thrown at them on a regular basis. They were mocked, they were beaten, and they were sometimes even killed. Persecution was great. And in the middle of this persecution, Paul writes these words, we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be impatient, Be patient with them all. Their decision to follow Jesus had caused them great hardship in life, and Paul has the audacity to say, encourage one another. All right, thanks, Josh. If I were to ask you, church, is our world more encouraging or discouraging, what would your response be? How many thinks it's more encouraging? I'm sorry, the the lights are so bright, I literally cannot see one hand up this morning. All right, how many think it's more discouraging? All right, I see those hands, yeah. While only 7% of the population experience severe depression each year, 51% of Americans feel like they have had despair or hopelessness in their lives in the past two weeks. that crazy? You are, in other words, you are regularly surrounded by more than half of the people you meet that over the last two weeks have felt despair or helplessness in their lives. The trend only gets, gets more so that way the younger you get. 20% of adolescent girls experience overwhelming sadness in America, 16% in adolescent boys. And we're not doing any, any help with, with these poor kids in the way that we're creating social media in order to pad our bank accounts so that we can feed off their depression because that's exactly what's going on. A study was published in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. In the University of Pennsylvania, 143 university students were invited to go on a little journey. And here's what they were told to do for three weeks sorry, not two, three, three weeks, participants were limited to only 30 minutes a day on social media, particularly Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. All right, 30 minutes a day only. At the end of every trial that they did for these 143 students, every participant saw both loneliness and depressive symptoms decline with the greatest challenges happening in those who reported greater levels of depression when they walked into the, in, into the study. Final report, conclusion stated this, quote, no matter where they started off, if they were told to limit their social media, they had less depression no matter what their initial, I think we got this, no matter what their initial levels were. Isn't that interesting? 
This is a conclusion to a study that was done 143 students at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, Craig, we knew this all along. Okay, did we? If we know this, why are we propagating this idea? Why are we letting this continue? Facebook did several internal studies. Do you know what an internal study is? An internal study is a study that you do that you don't want anyone to see. Facebook did several internal studies that just became public due to a whistleblower named Frances Haugen. And I'm sure I'm not pronouncing her name right, but this just happened last month. Have you seen this, this woman? She testified in front of a, a committee in the government, and this is what she said, internal and hidden studies, by the way, and, sh and these have been leaked, so it's not just her saying it. Now, we, we know this to be true. Internal and, <clears throat> and hidden studies by Facebook. Let me say that again. Internal and hidden studies by Facebook that they did found that 13.5% of UK, uh, that's uh, uh, Britain, teen girls in one survey said that their suicidal thoughts became more frequent after starting on Instagram. Another leaked study found that 17% of teen girls say their eating disorders got worse after using Instagram. And another part of an internal study done by Facebook, hidden study, said that they know 32% of teen girls say that when they felt bad, they felt worse about their bodies, and Instagram made them feel even worse. And we're feeding this to our kids. This is not kids feeding it to kids. This is adults feeding it to kids so that they can get rich. Facebook did this research. And it's not, it's not just Facebook. This is something that we know. Discouragement reigns in our culture. And it's not just in one group or, an, or another group. It doesn't just apply to one specific di demographic. 57%, for instance, of pastors say that they feel regularly discouraged in ministry. There's a cross the board. The ability and frankly the privilege to encourage somebody else is greatly devalued and absent in our culture. Encouragement according to the Bible, by the way, is not wishing somebody a happy, wonderful, happy, happy day. That's not what encouragement is according to scripture. Personally, I've been encouraged by people in my life who have lifted me up when I felt like I was breaking, challenged me to stand when I didn't feel like I could anymore, clarified confusion in my mind to give me a better picture of what God is doing in the world around me, or corrected me when I began to despair. Encouragement comes in a variety of different forms. And so I wanna give you that this morning as, as the premise, as we, as we go into this guy, this guy named Barabbas, uh, Barnabas in the New Testament, not Barabbas, he was a thief and a murderer who took the place of Jesus. That's not the guy. This is Barnabas. Barnabas was the opposite of Barabbas. Barnabas is gonna give us an example of all four of these things this morning. As we look in scripture and find him all the way through the New Testament, I want to identify encouragement as he gives it to us and as we see it over and over in scripture. So I want to say this, encouragement is this. Encouragement is somebody who carries somebody else when they want to fall down. An encourager is somebody who challenges somebody else to realize their potential. You should mark these down, they're really good. Number three, <clears throat> an encourager is somebody who clarifies a situation so that somebody else in confusion can see what God is doing. Number four, encouragers correct when others see conflict and are in despair 
because they can't see more than two feet in front of their face. The bottom line is this. Encouragement helps me to believe what God is doing in, through, and around me. But those who encourage always approach it in a unique way. If you find a good encourager, somebody who has this as some, something that they regularly participate in, you will find somebody with a humble heart. Proud people are terrible encouragers. <laughs> humble people are wonderful encouragers. In the Bible, encourage means to comfort, to encourage, uh, to exhort. This is the word encouragement in scripture. The encourager is able to bring you above the spaces of discouragement that you find yourself in. And they, encouraging, they encourage others by carrying others, challenging others, clarifying God's work for others, and correcting others with humility. That's what encouragers do. Now, if you're looking at this list and you're thinking to yourself, <clears throat> I do a couple of these things, that's wonderful. You're on a good path. Remember the verse that we said at first. The verse in scripture is, be an encourager constantly. Encourage the weak-hearted. Encouragement is a lost art, and it's only getting more scarce in our world today, but it needs to be incorporated into our spaces as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to consider it our own responsibility. It's essential that it's done in this room, and I have to tell you, the Bible says to encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. That means that as you think the end is coming, as you think the darkness is growing, you have got to instill this idea of encouragement in your life more. People are going to need it. So I introduce you to Barnabas. Barnabas is not a disciple. He's not an apostle. He's not even particularly noticeable. You may have read the New Testament and never even seen this guy, but he is in more than a dozen passages and a dozen different stories in Scripture include Barnabas. And in every circumstance, this guy Barnabas is walking into difficult situations and lifting up the purpose and potential of other people. Let's start with number one. Encouragers carry others. They carry others. I don't know about you, but I have been in times in my life when I felt like I just want to fall down. Maybe it's I just want to stay in bed. Maybe it's I just don't want to answer the phone not one more time. Maybe it's I don't want to talk to these kids anymore. Somebody else deal with them. Maybe it's I don't want to go to my job. I can't, I can't deal with it one more day. Discouragement comes in a variety of different forms, but encouragers, one thing they always do is they carry others. Now, if you, if you get a, a visual of somebody carrying somebody else, it's a pretty cool picture, right? Typically, I would go to military, uh, military uh, uh, pictures in my brain where somebody is being carried off a battlefield. You know, they're wounded, and somebody else is carrying them out because they can't get off themselves. They're wounded. The same kind of idea is what a, an encourager does. They see somebody that's wounded by life, and they consider it their responsibility to step in, lift them up, and carry them out. They lift others up when others feel like falling down. This is the first thing we see Barnabas doing. Never have we seen him before in scripture, but this, this thing is the first thing we see him doing. Acts 4 verse 36. This is the first time we hear of what Barnabas is doing. And just so you know, you're going to get a little confused. Barnabas wasn't even this guy's name. Here's how it goes. Verse 36, Acts 4, 36. Thus Joseph, 
who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. His name wasn't Barnabas. <laughs> that actually shocked me. I, I never did a study on this guy before, and I'm looking at it going, oh, that wasn't his name. His name was Joseph. And Joseph is a pretty good name, right? Jesus' dad was named Joseph. Joseph is not a bad name. But the apostles changed his name to Barnabas because they looked at him and they said, this guy, this guy is such an encourager, we need to change his name to son of encouragement. That guy's a son of encouragement, all right? That's the kind of the idea for this guy. He went after those who needed to be lifted up. It matched his character. Why? Because the first thing we see Barnabas doing, what is he doing, church? What is the first thing we see Barnabas doing? He sold... He sold a field that he owned, and what did he do with the money? He gave it to the apostles. You know why? Because the Roman government didn't take care of its citizens this way. You're kind of on your own. The church steps in. You want to you mock the church, you just don't know church history. Because the church steps in and changes the world. And the church in this day, people would sell what they had and they would bring it to the apostles and they would say, here's some money, help somebody in need. And Barnabas, I don't know if he was a rich man, but I know he owned land. Almost everybody did. Your name was attached to your land. And do you know what Barnabas did with his land? He sold what he had because somebody else was in need. He didn't have it in his back pocket. He didn't have it in his bank account. He only had this property. And when the apostles said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a brand new program. There are people suffering around us. They don't have food. They don't have, they don't have clothing. They're left out on the streets. And we, the church, we're going to step into their need, and we're going to meet it. Anybody on board? Barnabas goes, I'm on board. And they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Any extra money you got laying around, bring it and lay it at our feet. Bring it to this table. Put it on the table. And we, we'll, we'll look for these people, and we'll start meeting the needs of this community around us. Barnabas thinks to himself, I don't have any cash, but I got this field. This field that belonged to my family. I'm going to sell that. He sells it. He does all of the work that it takes to sell it. And then he takes the proceeds, comes back to church, and he said, here, help somebody else. That's the first time we meet this guy. Sell what I have to encourage somebody else who is in need. So the apostles loved this guy. Like, there was a lot of people getting saved. In scripture, it was like, and 2,000 were added to the church, and 5,000 were, I mean, thousands were being added to the church on a regular basis, but the apostles, they knew this guy. They knew Barnabas, and you wanna know why? Because he is a son of encouragement. Wherever you went, wherever people met this guy, they would go, this guy is nothing but an encourager. And people wanted to have him around. He was known as a person who loved to carry the burdens of his others, of others as his own. Without Barnabas, can I just tell you one other thing? You would never know the Apostle Paul. Did you know that? Without Barnabas doing this deed, this caring of other people, we would never know who the Apostle Paul was. Here's how it happened. A great follower of Jesus named Stephen who became the first martyr. Do you remember this? Stephen preached an incredible message. You have it in the book of Acts. It's in your Bible. Preached an incredible message. 
And the people who were protecting the Jewish way of life didn't like it. They were so mad that Stephen was so bold for the gospel of Jesus, he's proclaiming a gospel that lifted up a guy they just killed. So they didn't like it. Made them look bad. (laughs) Politicians are that way a little bit. So they went after Stephen. And they said, okay, we're going to make a statement. We're not just going to tell people this guy's a heretic. We're going to kill him in front of everybody. So they dragged him out, put him in the middle of a circle, and they all picked up stones. And they were getting ready to kill Stephen. But they had a problem. You see, in that day, you had cloaks, like a big jacket that you had to wear. And it's really hard to get a good swing. You got to throw a rock pretty hard to kill somebody. Hard to get a good swing when you got the cloak on. So you know what they did? They took off their jackets and they put them at the feet of a young man so that he could watch them, keep their wallets safe, (laughs) watch the jackets so that they could get a good swing so that they could get the stones to kill Stephen. Do you know what the young man's name was that watched their jackets? Paul. That's the first time we hear of Paul, too. Acts 22, verse 20. We know it was Paul because he admitted it. In one of his prayers, Paul prays this. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself, Paul said, was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Saul admitted that he was there, that he approved of this action. And after his decision to follow Jesus, nobody trusted Paul. (laughs) Would you? If the guy that killed the first major pastor in the New Testament all of a sudden said, you know what, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus and I'm coming to your church today. And he could kill any one of us and get away with it because according to the law, that was his, he, he was allowed to do that. How many of you would show up for church that day? Paul's coming. We don't want to be anywhere near. We don't trust him. We don't think his conversion is genuine. I mean, you'd have to be a pretty crazy person to believe this guy who literally said in the book of the Galatians, he says, I was zealous for doing my job. I loved my job. I loved breaking into the houses of church people and dragging them away. I loved throwing them in jail. I loved taking away their property. I loved emptying their bank accounts. I loved doing what I was doing. You can read about it in the book of Galatians. This was Paul. And then Paul has a conversion experience. He decides he's going to follow Jesus, and no one believed him except for Barnabas. Look what happened in Acts 9, verse 26. And when Paul came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. (laughs) And they were all what, church? They're all afraid of him, for they didn't believe he was a disciple. They're they're not stupid. Fool me once, you know. (laughs) We don't believe you. No one wanted to take a risk. Everybody thought Paul was playing them. Everybody thought he was just trying to figure out where all these home churches were so that he could come in and destroy them. And he loved doing his job, so you wanted to stay away from Paul. Everybody wrote Paul off except for one individual. In verse 27 it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas believed Paul 
And because of that, it's like the mob, you know. They don't trust anybody, so they got to have somebody that they do trust bring in somebody else, and they, they want to make that person. Barnabas was the one who brought in Paul. Barnabas considered it his responsibility to carry Paul when nobody else would believe him. Barnabas did. And without Paul, the apostle, the church would look a lot different than it does today. Number two, this kind of goes along with the same way. Encouragers challenge others to realize their potential. They challenge others to realize what God might be actually doing, what he's capable of doing. And without the encouragement of Barnabas and Paul, the church would have never realized what Paul was capable of. I mean, look at Paul. He was disheartened. I mean, think of what his past was, always haunting him, always breathing over his shoulder, always reminding him, oh, can you imagine the families he met? Oh, hi, you're Craig. I killed your dad. That'd be really hard to live with. Paul was disheartened. The apostles were leery. The church was fearful. But Barnabas, Barnabas saw potential. And his encouraging spirit helped others to see potential as well. Barnabas did this on a regular basis. I take you to the next story. This is what happened in Turkey. Now that the gospel is beginning to change the world, the church is beginning to grow, and a bold, uh, bold group of missionaries began uh, uh, bringing the gospel to Turkey, what we know now as Turkey. This group of people were actually bringing the gospel outside of Israel, which is where the apostles were. They were stuck in Israel, and this group of people were taking the gospel now and spreading it out. And if you walk north of Israel, you will hit Turkey. More specifically, you'll hit a town called Antioch. Not these days, but that back then you would. Jerusalem hears of the gospel going out to the city of Antioch. They hear of the gospel going out to these Hellenists, these Greeks. And they want to encourage that. And so they want to do something to help these missionaries. They desperately want the church to grow outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish context, and begin changing the world. They desperately want to see these missionaries grow to their potential. But they were being persecuted. Nobody wanted to believe in Christianity. It was something brand new. Nobody had actually heard of a church before. They never heard of this thing. And so these missionaries were being persecuted. So they sent a guy to encourage the missionaries. And who do you think they sent when they thought, let's encourage these missionaries to keep on keeping on. Who do you think they sent? Barnabas. Acts 11 verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now here's an interesting thing. Barnabas was from Cyprus. We've already read that. And the missionaries who were turning Antioch upside down for the gospel were from Cyprus. Isn't it interesting how God works? So when they thought we need to send somebody to encourage them, Barnabas would be great and he's a fellow countryman. So they send him up there. When he came, verse 23, and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Not only was Barnabas encouraging them to realize their potential, he was clarifying for them what God was doing. Listen, I know you're being persecuted. I know doing the work of a missionary is really tough work. I know nobody seems to be listening to you and your lives are in jeopardy on a regular basis. But I just want to encourage you, what we're doing here is bigger than us. And he encouraged them to keep on. 
They were getting lost in what was just in front of them and they weren't seeing the bigger picture of the gospel changing the world. So they send Barnabas up there and he helps them see the bigger picture. And that brings me to number three. Encouragers clarify what God is doing. It's what encouragers do. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so stuck in the dark that I think to myself, what in the world is God doing? These missionaries were trying to spread the gospel, but they were being threatened for their lives, so they got to be thinking, is it worth it? Why, if this is what we're called to do, why are we under such persecution? And so this is what encouragers do. Encouragers come along and they strengthen the faith of somebody else when they can't see God's plan. (laughs) I love these people. Because I got to tell you, there's a lot of times I don't know what God is doing. And somebody else comes along and they say to me, Craig, isn't this what you're called to do? Do you know this or what? Yeah. Have you seen God? Yeah. Then why would you doubt God's plan now? With martyrdom a real possibility, these missionaries in Antioch needed an encourager, somebody that would come alongside of them, see the grace of God, see what's going on, and encourage them to remain faithful, to stay steadfast, to keep persevering, to not give up, to see the bigger picture. And this is exactly what he did. Verse 24, for Barnabas was a good man. Wouldn't you love for scripture to say that about you? For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people, church, will you, will you read this with me? Because it is so powerful. And a great many people were what? One guy. One guy. All these missionaries, discouraged in what they're doing, doing something nobody's ever done before, trying to make Antioch belong to Jesus. One guy comes along. And because of his deep faith, And what God is doing, because he has this this passion to encourage, he comes alongside of them and he says, listen, don't give up, persevere, remain faithful, stay steadfast. God's going to do something great. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So they got the gospel out together. This encourager clarified the potential for others to realize what was possible. And then you know the next thing that he did? (laughs) He said, we need help. So let's go get help. And you know what he did? Verse 24, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who, church? Yeah, we need someone to help. You know somebody that would help us a lot? The guy that you are scared to death of. Let me introduce you to Saul. Saul, by the way, is Paul. Saul was his name before it was changed to Paul. Sometimes he went by both. Saul wasn't even in the picture. Saul had, Paul had not done any missionary work yet. He hadn't done anything. And Barnabas goes, you know who would be a good help for us? Saul, hang on, you stay here. I'm going to go to Tarsus. I'm going to get this guy. He's going to help us. (laughs) He needed a Barnabas. Paul did to carry him. And he needed a Barnabas to see his potential. So Paul, Saul, comes up and changes the world. Verse 26. And when he found him, when Barnabas found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and they taught a great many people And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what church? Nobody had ever heard of a Christian before this. Does that shock you to the core? I mean, people were followers of Jesus left and right, but nobody was called a Christian until this happened. 
until Barnabas said, let's do it, let's get this done, goes and gets Saul, he says, I got a guy that can help us bring Saul up, and they teach this church for a year, and they become passionate followers of Jesus Christ, and so everybody in that town starts saying, you know who you remind me of? Do you know what Christian means, by the way? Christian means little Christ. And all these people in Antioch said, you know who you people remind us of? Christ, Jesus, this, this guy we killed, Christians, followers of Jesus. How'd you like to be reminding somebody else of Jesus? That's what they're called. Like Barnabas' name went from Joseph to son of encouragement, these people were called little Jesuses everywhere they went. And do you know what happened to Antioch? Antioch became the main missionary hub for missionary service in all of Europe. It became the place where all missionaries went out from. Paul started his missionary journey because of Barnabas. And it wasn't until Barnabas encouraged others to follow Jesus that they were called Christians. You are called a Christian because of Barnabas. Isn't that crazy? One guy. One guy that couldn't stop encouraging others. But the challenges for Antioch weren't over yet. They continued to be persecuted, so Barnabas had one more job to do. His encouragement needed to go one more direction, one different way. As Antioch was attacked by the evil one and by the people around, a few chapters later, we're told about outsiders that tried to discredit the missionary service these guys were doing. They tried to demean them. They said they were crazy people. They couldn't demean the gospel, so they demeaned the people. They couldn't get rid of the gospel message, so they tried to get rid of the people. And naturally, they attack the hub, sending out these missionaries, they attack Antioch. And the apostles, they hear what's going on. The apostles are in Israel, and they hear what's going on. And so they send Barnabas up there one more time in Acts 15 and verse 23. They send him up with a letter, a letter to encourage them. So who else would they send it with but Barnabas? Here's what the letter said. To the brothers, Acts 15, verse 23, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. I want you to see what's happening here. Some people were showing up in Antioch. They said they were from the apostles, and they were, but they did not like the message of the gospel as it was written. They didn't like it. They wanted to hold on to some of the traditions of the fathers. So they went into Antioch and they said, listen, everything you're doing is good, but, but you're missing the mark a little bit. <laughs> you got to do this and this and this too. It's, the gospel's not enough on its own. And they began to unsettle the minds, confuse the people that were going out from Antioch with the gospels. And that brings me to the last thing that encouragers do. Encouragers walk directly into conflict. They walk directly into conflict in order to con correct confusion that might hinder the potential of somebody else. Have you ever been so confused about what was going on that you felt like you're, you're, you're not living up to your potential? All you're doing is thinking about all of the stuff in your life and time clicks on and you begin thinking to yourself after a matter of time, I don't think I'm living up to my potential. You need a Barnabas. Somebody that will walk in and say, listen, you're clearly confused. You're conflicted about what's important here. I want to address this directly. That's what encouragers 
sometimes do. These individuals came from among the apostles, but they were not of the same mind. Instead, they troubled the minds of the missionaries. So the apostles sent, said, this has to stop. They sent Barnabas up so that he could address the conflict, the conflict in these people's minds. Verse 25, and it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, in other words, they all agreed, not they all came to the same Honda, but they all came to one accord, all agreement, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved, who? With our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles sent Barnabas with Paul this time because they knew Barnabas could walk into the confusion, encourage their hearts, and correct what they were thinking in the wrong ways. The apostles wrote the letter. They send it with somebody who could clarify the confusion, lift others up, clarify the mission, all of those normal things, but also correct the wrong thinking that was going on. Verse 30 says, so when they, so when, when they were sent off, they went to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. Church verse 31 is awesome. And when they had read it, they rejoiced. Read this with me. Because of its encouragement. Isn't that great? Are you seeing the power of encouragement here? An encourager calls out what God is doing in somebody and uses their presence in that person's life to help them thrive, to overcome, to see their potential. Every time Barnabas is used in the New Testament, he's using his ability to encourage. He did it by centering that encouragement on the unchanging truth of God's word. Do you know who Barnabas reminds me of? Barnabas reminds me of the Holy Spirit. Here's why. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You, you literally, this is why we say Jesus is with us. Jesus is not sitting in a chair beside you. We're not nuts. Like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is. But because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God, God the Holy Spirit is present with us wherever we go. God is here with us today. Jesus' presence is here because of the Holy Spirit. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You take Christ wherever you go. That's why you look like a little Jesus. <laughs> You're a Christian. The Holy Spirit has to bleed out into your life. It's what he does. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. Barnabas reminds me of the Holy Spirit because you know what the Holy Spirit does in our lives? Do you know what the Holy Spirit does in our lives? He carries us when we want to fall down. He challenges us to realize our potential in Jesus Christ. He clarifies our brains and our vision when we're so discouraged we can't see God's plan and he corrects when our minds become so confused by the attacks of the evil one, when that confusion becomes so thick we can't see through it, the Holy Spirit will take a moment and clarify things for us. Sometimes it's done in a church service. Sometimes it's done when you're sitting in your car listening to worship service. Sometimes it's done when you are all alone and you realize you're off. Barnabas reminds me of the Holy Spirit. Encouragers carry, challenge, 
clarify and correct. All C's, by the way, so yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what? What does this mean for us? And by the way, there are many stories in the New Testament that I had to leave out because there's way too much said about this guy in Barnabas, but in each one of these stories, he's doing one of those four things. So what? Church, the first so what is very important. I'm glad you're sitting down. Stop waiting to be encouraged and start encouraging others. Stop waiting for somebody to encourage you. You live in a world where this is a dying trait. But you have the ability to encourage one another because you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have this unique ability to encourage others around you. You don't have to have this unique gift of encouragement in order to be an encourager. Just like you don't have to have the gift of evangelism to evangelize, every one of us is called to evangelize, right? True or false? True. You don't have to have a special gift of encouragement to encourage. It's who the Holy Spirit is, and if it's who he is, you have access. Encourage somebody else. Encouragers need to constantly offset the voice of the evil one. Let me say that one more time. Encouragers need to constantly offset the voice of the evil one. I have seen so many Christians, instead of offsetting the voice of the evil one, they take on the voice of the evil one. Somebody's broken, they're down, they're discouraged. And somebody who's a Christian will come along and make them more down, more broken, and more discouraged. This is not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be an encourager. Even though we may not have the gift of encouragement, we are called to be an encouragement, especially in a world that doesn't know what this is anymore. Discouragement mantras go like this. Jealousy, you deserve what you get. Hopelessness, this will never work out. Discontent, you deserve more. Physical suffering, you can't endure this. Blame, God's responsible for this. These are the things that are constantly promoted. This is the voice of... This is the voice of the evil one. These are all lies. But this is what we hear regularly, right? And it's very discouraging. Because if Satan can get you discouraged, he can get you impotent. We need encouragers. Encouraging mantras go like this. I will carry those who feel they cannot stand. I will challenge those to know who they are in Jesus Christ. I will attempt to clarify situations so others can see God's hand at work. I will be bold to correct those who are so confused they've fallen victims to the devil's lies. That's what encouragers do. So the first point, let me say it one more time. Stop waiting to be encouraged and be an encouragement to somebody else. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have this in you. You don't need a special gift. God is waiting to encourage others through you like God has encouraged you. Number two, encourage authentically. <laughs> Encouragement is more than, hey, I like your hair. <laughs> Encouragement is more than saying nice things. Encouragement is deeper. It's more meaty than that. 
In every example, Barnabas gives us this amazing example where he walks into difficult situations. He addresses the situation at hand, no matter how dire or dark it is, and he is able to encourage, he's encouraging people who are dying for the gospel. How do you do that? One of the hardest things for people to do is to go to a funeral. Why? Because you desperately want to encourage somebody that's just lost someone they love. How do you do that? It's very difficult. I have had so many people come to me and say, listen, I want to go to the hospital to see this person. They're dying. What do I say to them? I'm going, I don't know. There's no magic words. You need to encourage authentically. One of the friends I grew up with, kid. I'll never forget this story. Lost his father when he was about nine years old tells a story to me as we were growing up as kids of what happened that night. As he lost his dad and he can't deal with the emotions of it. The funeral is over and the house is packed with people and my friend, his name is Jet, my friend goes up to his room and he sits on his bed. He doesn't want to be around people. Who does? Who really does? The people are there because they want to encourage, but how do you encourage an eight-year-old that just lost his dad? Pastor walks into the house, finds Jet's mom, says, where's Jet? She said, he's up in his room, he won't come down. Pastor walks up the stairs, opens the door to the room, sits on the bed with my friend, and doesn't say a word. He sits there, and as Jet sits there, weeping, that pastor cried with him. He hugged him and he left and Jet remembers that more than anything that happened that day. I don't know what to tell you to encourage authentically but this I know, if you have the Holy Spirit of God at work within you you have the power to authentically encourage the brokenhearted. To authentically encourage those who are being abused, to authentically encourage those who are believing lies, to authentically encourage those who need instruction. You have the ability to do that. And it's different for every person. And it's different in every circumstance. But you need to do it authentically. Authentic encouragers center their encouragement in the power of God and the love that comes from the Spirit of God. They're able to bring others up above their limited ability to see two feet in front of them, and they help others by breaking through to encourage them through, a, through an incredible, humble, and loving spirit. You exhibit authentic encouragement when you're unusually optimistic about what God might do, when you're unusually optimistic about what God might do with people, when you feel it natural to insert the truth of God into the dark spaces of other people's lives. And when you develop an uncanny ability to see what God is doing when other people cannot see it, they can only see the darkness. Then you have the ability to encourage. And let me tell you, this list right here, you'll find somebody that fits that list every day. Every day. You'll know what you're doing as an encourager. You'll know you're doing what encouragers should do, do when you are able to lift people out of their sadness, discouragement, and tunnel vision after they've spent time with you. Let me say that one more time. 
You'll know you're doing what an encourager does when you are able to lift people out of the sadness, discouragement, and tunnel vision that they have after they spend time with you. Only authentically. So church, open your eyes. In almost every circumstance of your life, somebody is in need of encouragement. And they might get on your nerves. (laughs) They might be the kind of people that always need encouragement. I remind you where we started today. From someone who had an encourager as his best friend, the Apostle Paul, writes these words to the church at Thessalonica. A friend of Barnabas, changed by God, believing in encouragement of somebody, what, what the potential of encouragement in somebody else is, writes verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, we already read it. I urge you brothers, say it with me church, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The gospel is spread through a variety of means. It's not always done by us preaching from a front in a church (laughs) or doing communion after the service. Starting after the service, you have the ability to take the gospel into somebody else's life by lifting up the weak, encouraging the faint-hearted, strengthening the feeble. You have that ability. And in doing so, authentically encouraging them because of what God can do in them because he's done it in you. Let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful for our time spent in your word and studying the life of Barnabas. Every one of us could use help in this area. Every one of us has people in our lives that need encouragement. Some of us are even thinking of them right now. Maybe some of us are thinking we need encouragement. <laughs> it could very well be as well. According to statistics, have more than half of the people that are gathered here today need encouragement. So Father, ignite in us not a need to be encouraged, but a need to encourage those around us. May we exhibit the gospel in the way that we lift others up, strengthen the feeble, like you did for us. May we be an encourager to others so that they can see your love and your grace and they can see more than the darkness around them. Thank you for Barnabas and for what he has given to us. People called Christians because of Barnabas. Paul the apostle because of Barnabas. The message of the gospel flowing out of a city because of Barnabas. Help us to be like Barnabas. And in doing so, help us to be more like you. I pray in Jesus' name.